Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4, these are God's words. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret. And your father, who sees in secret, will himself reward you openly. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's inspired and an heir to it. How great is his mercy and power that he adds his blessing to the preaching of it. Please be seated. Many weeks ago now, although just a few minutes worth of reading ago in the Gospel of Matthew, it must have uh, struck them, it must have stunned them uh, when Jesus told them that unless their righteousness exceeded that of the scribes and Pharisees, they would by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, for at the time, the scribes and Pharisees seemed so very righteous. Uh, and yet, by the time we get to where we are at the beginning of chapter 6, uh, our opinion, I hope, has largely changed. Uh, all of these passages that uh, they had referred to and built their idea of righteousness upon, uh, their flesh had really been in control uh, of how they read, uh, in some cases, uh, too narrowly, too, uh, too limited, uh, and in some cases misread altogether the Word of God uh, in order to uh, do as they wished uh, with their rash anger, with their lust, uh, with their uh, oaths and vows of marriage uh, in response to those uh, who uh, demanded of them or abused them uh, and so forth. Uh, we have found that the Pharisees, the scribes and Pharisees, did not really have much righteousness at all. And now we come to uh, another place where uh, the scribes and Pharisees, uh, apparently, uh, or at least apparent to those disciples whom the Lord had gathered to himself now on top of the mountain and sat down assumed the preaching position they had come uh, they had come to him uh, it must have appeared to them that the scribes and Pharisees were uh, the most generous uh, among the people uh, because uh, every time that a Pharisee or a scribe or one of these hypocrites at least uh, described in verse 2 was uh, going to give something for the poor or perhaps even to uh, someone who is poor, it went viral. You know, they didn't have um, 
They didn't have uh, Instagram or TikTok or uh, whatever it is. By the time someone uh, my age is aware of something, it's usually some new uh, social uh, experiment. They didn't have those things, but they had trumpets. Uh, and uh, they made sure that everybody would know about it. And when they would go home, they would, uh, they would tell about it. And the news would spread of uh, just how, uh, how much almsgiving, uh, just how generous uh, in uh, giving to the poor these people were. But just as in verses 21 through 48 of the previous chapter, our Lord Jesus was uh, proclaiming to us that righteousness that reflects God's character, that righteousness that is uh, perfectly reflected in the Lord Jesus' own obedience in our behalf, uh, that righteousness that he himself is producing in us by his spirit, uh, according to the royal law, the law that describes the king uh, and that pleases the king that he requires of us and uh, delights to produce in us and see from us that law of liberty, uh, that law that describes uh, what we are like when we have been freed from our sin, freed in Christ, freed unto righteousness. Uh, just as uh, we have come to see that righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, so now uh, he describes that religion that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, whether uh, these works of mercy in the portion before us today or in prayer uh, or in fasting. And this whole principle uh, of laying up treasure uh, in heaven. And so it's not just their righteousness that should exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It is also uh, their religion, your religion. Uh, should be greater than, uh, not less than, uh, those who are hoping in themselves and making great display uh, of themselves. And so as the Lord Jesus uh, begins to uh, address that, he addresses us this morning uh, on works of mercy, on works of mercy. And uh, we can consider it under these three uh, themes. The first, uh, Jesus's assumption, the assumption that believers will do works of mercy. Uh, this is something that we have already seen towards the beginning of chapter five, but that'll be our first theme as we consider these four verses. Jesus's assumption that believers will do works of mercy. Uh, and then in the second place, the aspiration the aspiration. Jesus wants believers to be rewarded. What he aspires to here and what he is teaching us to aspire to is to be rewarded by our Father in heaven. Uh, in uh, a day and age in the uh, neo-reformed whatever you want to call it where uh, Justification, which is an essential, necessary truth to be preserved, uh, but it has been emphasized to the extent that uh, we make great mistakes about things like 
sanctification and holiness and the way the believer relates to the law and uh, and this issue then also of reward uh, for us in our moment uh, in the reformed churches uh, where we are uh, what a blessed correction what a refreshing instruction uh, to have uh, Jesus uh, teach us his own aspiration and uh, and instruct us in what ought to be our aspiration, uh, that we might be rewarded. Uh, and then the approach, uh, uh, desiring this reward, and uh, therefore doing these works in desire uh, for this reward, how are we to do? In what manner are we to do uh, the works that he assumes uh, that we are going to do? Uh, that, and he uh, gives it to us in terms of fellowship with our Father, uh, that, that uh, we would do our good works, do our works of mercy in the manner of uh, a secret life between us and our Father in heaven uh, that is carried out primarily with him in view and remembering that we are in his view. Praise God. So those are the three themes, uh, the assumption, the aspiration, and the approach. First then, the assumption. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. When you do a charitable deed, verse 2, etc., and when you do, or but when you do, a charitable deed, verse 3, that your charitable deed may be, verse 4. You notice here he does not command charitable deed with an imperative. There are all these conditional statements. And in some ways, that's actually more powerful, isn't it? That it is the assumption, the of course, uh, about them. Uh, now, the word here is a, a word that uh, very literally, very basically, uh, linguistically means uh, a work of mercy. And in their particular culture at the time, uh, these works of mercy uh, were primarily what uh, the old word is almsgiving. Probably you've never heard that word uh, except in church, maybe not until today. Uh, but uh, giving money for uh, for the poor, uh, because uh, if the if the poor did not have the money on that day, they would not eat. Uh, they needed the alms by uh, by which to live. It was the same reason, the same principle uh, that they didn't have weekly or biweekly or monthly paydays uh, in their culture for the. Uh, for the day laborer, he was supposed to get his wages that day because if he didn't, he couldn't buy himself supper uh, when uh, uh, he would not be able to eat uh, for that day. And so these works of mercy uh, were very much focused on almsgiving. Uh, you and I have a very difficult time connecting uh, with, uh, uh, with how uh, desperate they were, how hand uh, to mouth they were. Unless you're very irresponsible as uh, an American, 
you can work hard. You can make money. You can uh, save. Uh, you, know, you have checking accounts and savings accounts and uh, cash on hand. And, uh, their uh, needful neediness uh, is what makes this uh, to be focused on uh, doing works of mercy for your neighbor. Now, there are those uh, who are needy. Uh, and it's not a work of mercy uh, to uh, vote for and arrange uh, uh, for uh, government uh, to uh, take uh, by force and then redistribute, however the government uh, wants, to those who are needy. Uh, yes, you ought to love them and desire that their needs would be met. Yes, you ought to desire even that your neighbor would do works of mercy. But it's not a work of mercy for your neighbor uh, if the government is holding a gun to his head uh, to give the money. Uh, and it's not a work of mercy for you uh, if, uh, if that's the way you are doing it. Uh, but the word is not exclusive to that. And uh, in our context where the gun has been uh, held to our heads, uh, you may uh, have the, uh, the privilege of helping someone in a way that, uh, that enables them not uh, uh, to participate in the way that it is done right now in our society by theft and, uh, and redistribution. That, that may very well be the way that you are merciful to them. Uh, but the work of mercy for you depends on uh, the need of your neighbor. Uh, our, uh, our neighbors are often uh, needy of things other uh, than a financial help or a financial uh, handout. And so the assumption is that we will operate according to uh, a mercy that uh, actually uh, notices, recognizes what others need, and seeks to extend or exert ourselves uh, in order to help them with whatever it is that they need. And this is part of the essential portrait of a Christian. Uh, if you remember back to uh, the beginning of this sermon, he actually began describing how happy disciples already are. Uh, they don't come to be uh, happy or to earn happy is probably a better way of saying that. They don't come to earn happiness by doing these things that we've been hearing for the last several sermons, but they already are happy in Christ. He has changed them. He has remade them. And uh, one of the ways he has done that is uh, in making them merciful. And so we heard in chapter 5 and verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And uh, if you remember uh, back to that, uh, perhaps you did not hear that sermon. Uh, it's not just that they shall obtain mercy, but they're merciful because they have obtained mercy. Uh, there are people who do works of mercy, uh, but you become merciful that becomes an actual part of your character out of genuine love for God, which is the only true source of genuine love for neighbor, 
You, you only become merciful by the grace of God. Uh, and so God has begun to be merciful to you. He's made you merciful. He continues to be merciful to you in, uh, in uh, an innumerable number of ways, part of which is sustaining you in being merciful, and you will obtain mercy, in particular on the last great day when truly and finally and fully vessels of wrath prepared for destruction and vessels of mercy are both revealed and you get to rejoice that not that is not God's uh, wrath that is glorified upon you, but because he is merciful, simply because he's chosen to be merciful to you and he has done all the things that his mercy desired, that his mercy determined, and then on that last day that his mercy will have done, the riches of his glory are made known upon vessels prepared for mercy, uh, which we heard in Romans chapter 9 is the reason that he patiently endures vessels of wrath that were righteously prepared for destruction. And so one of uh, the great displays now in the slice of time that you are in now that you belong to this merciful God who has been merciful in himself, in his decree, in his plan, and will praise the riches of his glory upon you as a vessel who has been prepared for mercy and you will obtain mercy in the last day. One of the ways that he shows your blessedness and your participation in that now is by the fact that you are merciful, that you're doing works of mercy. Now, if you don't, uh, if you are not merciful, if you don't do works of mercy, if you don't have this characteristic, as he describes the, the portrait of a believer, and uh, praise God, he remember, began with uh, the easy ones for us, those who are impoverished and those who grieve over our sin and those who know ourselves to be uh, lowly and, uh, and small. But if you don't have these characteristics that he's described, what is the evidence that you have been converted what is the evidence that you actually belong to Jesus Christ? The evidence is not a sticker in your Bible or a story that you could tell someone about something that, that you experienced or thought or felt one day. No, Jesus is a real Savior. He is really the Son of God who really became man, who really lived and died on a cross and really bodily rose again and who really applies that salvation by actually saving people, his spirit making them alive and bringing them to faith so that they believe into and rest upon Jesus Christ. And not only have they been changed by the fact that they've been made alive, but they receive grace upon grace as God continues to conform them to Christ in making them, among other things, Merciful. And so if you find that that's challenging for you, and you hear, if you're not merciful, what evidence do you have 
that you are converted, that you are saved, that you have Christ and are joined to him? The answer is not to suddenly be shaken and make all these plans for how merciful you're going to be so that you can know. Oh, that may be part of it. But to be merciful takes the grace of God. And so you look to him for that grace and you do make those plans and in dependence upon his grace, you do these acts of mercy and as you have the pleasure in him that we're going to hear about and in the rest of the passage, you realize God is the one who has done this work in you. And so the first motivation is not even this assurance of faith or the production of this evidence. The first motivation is to please your Father in heaven, to have this life in Jesus Christ, from Jesus Christ, that he would be glorified as your Father who sees in secret, sees his Son. The righteous love the light, uh, John 3 tells us, because the light exposes not how, uh, how wonderful their deeds were. Well, it does expose that, but the way it says it there is that their deeds were done in God. And so there is this assumption that believers will do works of mercy. In the second place, there is the aspiration. I want you to notice here the logic of Jesus Christ. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Jesus wants his people to be rewarded. He thinks about your reward, dear Christian. He desires for you to be rewarded, dear Christian. He teaches you to desire to be rewarded, dear Christian. Now, there are those who preach that we should not do things for rewards. We must always be careful of ideas that would, would frame ourselves as more theologically sound or more merciful or more genuine or more righteous or more wise than God, than Jesus Christ. And so if someone tells you you shouldn't do good deeds, you shouldn't do works of mercy out of a desire to be rewarded, or if that, if that thought comes up in yourself, then you need to answer, well, maybe not for the reward that you're thinking of. Or maybe not the reward that my flesh would desire. Certainly there's a reward to avoid in this passage as much as there's a reward to desire, isn't there? But certainly, if I am thinking the way that Jesus does and that Jesus has taught me to think, I should desire reward. And there is the necessity then of aspiring to reward. And it gets its own point uh, because we are accustomed to think 
that loving the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and out of that love, loving our neighbor as ourselves and our brother who is united to Christ and adopted by the Father in the Son and indwelt by the Spirit because they are, uh, our brother is a son and therefore God has sent the Spirit of Son into his heart that we not only love our brother as ourselves, but we love him as Christ loved the church. You say, well, if my works of mercy are to come out of love, then how can I then how can I do them for a reward? How can I do them out of a desire for reward like Jesus obviously here desires that I be rewarded and teaches me to desire it? And the answer is it's such a reward. The nature of the reward to which we aspire is such a reward as love desires, which is the Father himself. The charitable deed done in secret and the father who, who, who sees in secret, there's no one else there. There's nothing else there for you but him. It is the reward that Asaph discovers when he goes to the worship of God. And he has seen things like power and influence and wealth and possessions and the admiration of others and being surrounded by family and descendants and many things that are not evil in themselves but are not the substance of his reward. And he has groaned over not having those things and he comes to worship and he discovers, remembers, he has the living God. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by the hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, when I will enter glory, it is you who receive me into glory. He is the reward. God is the reward. And that's when he says, whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth I desire apart from you. And so this is, uh, this is the reward that we should aspire to, that he trains us to desire. Uh, if, if we are afraid to do things out of desire for reward, it's probably because our values are off and we're aiming at a reward that is small or perhaps not even desirable altogether. But this reward for the believer is both present and future. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. But the, in verse 1, but then in verse 4, your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. And in the original, it is also present tense in verse 1, future tense in verse 4. The believer is not doing works of mercy for pie in the sky by and by, even if you are using pie uh, in the metaphor to mean the pleasure of God and the fellowship of God and the glory of God and the enjoyment of his glory. We do not have to wait 
until eternity. We have more reward now on earth. There is nothing else on earth I desire beside you. But if our sight is focused on what we get from men, especially their praise, especially their admiration, then we do not have him as our reward now. And we are already missing on the great reward of fellowship with the living God, belonging to him, being united to his son, being adopted as his children, so that we're showing ourselves to be, uh, as he described in the the passage from last week, uh, uh, sons of our father in heaven and enjoying his fatherhood and enjoying our sonship and enjoying Jesus Christ in whom he has brought us into that and enjoying the fellowship of his spirit. And so the Father himself is our Lord. God himself, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is our reward. That the Lord is taking away from us our hypocrisy. Our identity is no longer that we are hypocrites. Surely there is some hypocrisy remaining in us that is from the flesh. But that's not our identity. That's not the believer's identity. You men, especially you, you young men who were at the, the breakfast yesterday and were thinking about union with Christ and applying union with Christ, you remember that, that first duty in response to union with Christ, even before the six that, that Guj listed in the book, that you would identify yourself with him. And this is something that you enjoy when you do your works of mercy in secret between you and God, and you find that there is actual genuine pleasure in that. That you are not like the hypocrite. He says in verse 2, Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, when you do a work of mercy, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Now, almost certainly, this was not that common. Uh, Otherwise, uh, you would have chaos. Almost certainly, he is taking the most obvious example of this hypocrisy and saying, if you do your good works, not remembering that your father sees you, but hoping that someone else will see you, Don't you see that you're like that guy with the trumpet? That you're like that super wealthy guy who is going to give something to a poor man or put a little bit uh, in the poor box, but uh, he's also spent some of his money hiring a trumpeter. (laughs) Maybe he's spent more money on the the trumpeter than than he's about to give to the poor. Uh, And he, he doesn't just go and give to the poor. But he's got it all worked out with, the, with his hired uh, trumpeter. And when he is about to, uh, to pull the money out and hand it over, or put in the box, uh, he gives his trumpeter the signal. And the trumpeter, and everybody, what's that? And they all look around. It, it's basically the same thing as the guy who wants to do a work of mercy, but he's, he's got his... 
his crew, and they've got you know uh, one um, you know one main camera, but they've also got the extra iPhones, and you know they got the different angles, and it's all scripted to produce thirty seconds of, of video or three minutes or however you know, long it is, uh, so that it can get posted to uh, to social media, and uh, and people view it and they say, oh, that guy's so wonderful that, uh, that he, you know, does these works of mercy. Well, it's not really a work of mercy at all, is it? It's hypocrisy. Uh, that's the, uh, it's the Greek word for the play actor. It's borrowed, uh, from Greek drama, Greek theater. And they were doing stage plays uh, 2,000 years uh, before Shakespeare. Uh, and you've, you may have seen the, the two masks, you know, the, the happy mask and the sad mask. That's the idea behind um, this word of hypocrisy, that you'd be two-faced. No. The nature of the reward to which you should aspire is enjoying God himself alone and finding that you actually have pleasure in pleasing him. You see, if you don't really believe in God and belong to God, uh, then having uh, pleasure just uh, by yourself, in yourself, would be an uh, indication of, uh, uh, of psychological uh, distortion uh, of reality. But if you can have pleasure just in God, then he is working in you to produce not two-facedness, but a single-facedness toward him. Singleness of mind, purity of mind, purity of desire towards him. And he confirms that more and more as you enjoy uh, him and pleasing him in the works of your mercy. So you're rewarded in, uh, in having and belonging to the Father himself. You're rewarded in this uh, increasing uh, experience of his work in you and therefore evidence that he is the one who is working in you. You also have the reward of Christ being glorified in you. And you not just... Not just Christ being glorified in you, but anticipating more and more that ultimate and final reward. Because his, it's not just present and secret, but also future, and future is openly. And if you don't have uh, one of those uh, critical texts where uh, the end of verse 4 has been lopped off, uh, it reads, verse 4 reads, Your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. You're looking forward to a day when every eye sees, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And in that day, the righteous will also shine like the sun, S-U-N, in the kingdom of their father. And Christ will be glorified in his bride. This is what God has predestined believers for. 
that they would be conformed to the image of the Son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And Jesus desires this so much that he came and lived and died for it. This was what he was looking forward to in the garden when he was praying uh, with uh, sweating with like, great drops of blood and uh, and uh, desiring to submit himself to the will of his father uh, and the the cross and the horrors of it being something that could not be acceptable in any other way than that this was what his father willed but it wasn't the first prayer that night was it for what the father willed Because before he gets to Gethsemane and he's praying that way about what he's about to do the next day on the cross, you have that marvelous prayer in John 17 where he's praying to the Father about what the Father has willed and the Son with him, one will in God, uh, what the Father and the Son and the Spirit have, have willed to bring about. And part of that is that prayer of Christ's that is fulfilled whenever a believer passes from this life, a desire that those whom you have given me would be with me where I am, that they would behold my glory because you have loved me from before the foundations of the world. Jesus desires his glory. Jesus desires that day that verse 4 is talking about when it talks about the Father rewarding us openly. And that reward is the glory of the Father displayed in the glory of the Son as those who by the glory of the Spirit reflect and rejoice in, behold, and enjoy the glory of the triune God, the God of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the one true and living God who has dwelt within himself among the persons of the Godhead from all eternity in in infinite love and delight and fellowship and adoration. Christ prayed for this reward for us. And then he went to the cross to secure it for us. And one of the mechanisms by which it comes into our possession, what he has earned, what he willed, what he desired, what he has earned, but one of the mechanisms by which we come to possess it and experience it, is as he works in us by his spirit to make us so love our fathers beholding our hearts in the secret place as we do these works of mercy that didn't come from our flesh and the desire that somebody else might notice or find out about the the work of mercy that I've done, but that I loved that the Lord was the only one who knew A reward so great cannot be merited. Usually when we say we can't merit our rewards, we're talking about 
uh, how small and imperfect our obedience is. Well, flip it on the other end. Even supposing, even supposing your obedience, your working of mercy was wonderfully sincere. Some of the the best, purest, most uh, most righteous, most uh, sincere, single-minded works of mercy that a man of grace has ever done on the earth. How could it merit the beholding of the glory of God, the enjoying of the fellowship of the Godhead? The reward is too great for us to think about it being merited. Of course it must be of mercy. It is because the deeds are done in Christ. They're rewarded not uh, not on account of how good they are, but on account of him in whom, by whom, upon whom, through whom they were done. Jesus wants believers to be rewarded by the Father. So the assumption, believers will do works of mercy. The aspiration, Jesus wants believers to be rewarded by the Father. Finally, the approach. The approach. Uh, The first part of it we've uh, covered a little bit. Uh, Do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. In other words, watch your heart. Watch your heart. Desiring to be noticed comes from the same place as the trumpeter in verse 2. You know, so don't read Matthew 6, 1 through 4 like the scribe or the Pharisee would uh, and say, uh, well, as long as I'm not doing the trumpet thing, I must be keeping this. No, no, no. He's saying, if you're hoping people will find out, if you're doing it in a place where it might be uh, noticed uh, from the side or uh, or if... You, you secretly desire uh, that the person you're doing it for would let everyone know that you did that for them. Or you, you talk about it or write about it in a place uh, where you know in the back of your mind, in the depths of your heart, uh, you're hoping that it would get overheard uh, or read. Uh, if there is that desire at all, that you would be praised by men for it or thought better of by men for it, then you are not, uh, you are not uh, following Christ's instruction for the one who aspires to the reward that he is describing uh, in this passage. A desire to be noticed comes from the same place as the trumpeting uh, in verse 2. So watch your heart. Uh, and keep your heart by the word. Uh, it is the Spirit's use of uh, especially the word and the sacrament and prayer. It's the Spirit's use of those things that will apply Christ to you more and more. Cleanse your heart more and more. And the, the washing, cleansing uh, effectiveness of his blood as he uh, as he in whom you are counted as holy also conforms you to his holiness and prepares you, uh, prepares f- you for glory. Watch your heart. Look to him. Repent of those desires to be noticed. 
the Lord already sees you. You're naked and exposed before him. He sees in secret. It works for our sin and our desire to be noticed just as much as it works for our works of mercy and, uh, and our desire to please him, to be noticed by him and uh, not so much uh, by men. And so you know, repent of the, the wrong desire and look to him to replace the desires that came from your flesh or to displace them by desires that come from Christ and are in Christ. So Lord Jesus teaches us, especially uh, especially in verse 1, uh, to watch uh, our heart. Uh, but he also teaches us uh, in, uh, in verse 3 to watch our hand. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Praise God, evidence that uh, back in chapter 5, when, uh, in verses 27 through 30, he didn't actually mean that you should physically cut off your right hand. Because uh, your right hand is there now to do works of mercy in Matthew chapter 6. And you can see the ridiculous way that you can end up misreading the Bible, can't you? And Jesus has been critiquing that for the last several passages. But you remember what we said about the cutting off of that right hand? that it is the right hand as it belongs to the flesh. It is the right hand as, uh, as controlled by the sinful nature, that uh, we are to offer the members of our body as slaves unto God for righteousness. Remember from Romans, uh, Romans chapter 6. It's not my right hand anymore. It's Jesus' right hand. Uh, but if it's Jesus' right hand, if it's my heavenly Father's right hand, uh, then I desire that what it does would be especially between me and him, especially in secret. I don't even want my left hand to find out. I'm so so single-mindedly unto God, offering what my right hand, uh, what my right hand does. That uh, it's not even that I don't want other people to find out. But the focus is so much just on, oh Lord, receive what I do with this hand. Uh, the, that. Uh, I'm not the the rest of me when I use the left hand. Oh Lord, receive what I do with this hand. Oh Lord, receive what I do with my mind. Receive what I'm doing with my mouth in this in this conversation. So so that there is that that single-minded, uh, hyper-focused, uh, uh, intense uh, focus upon what He sees and the fellowship that you have with Him. He sees in secret. Now, some of you have this in, in other relationships. It's uh, such a blessing when uh, mom or dad has a, a sweet relationship with one of their children and um, the child is not um, living in terror of what mom and dad think of me, but they're working on things together. And, you know, there's discipline to be sure and there's instruction, but uh, as a discipling relationship, uh, and uh, uh, and the child is uh, is able just to meet mama's eye uh, and uh, know that mama is pleased. Well, praise God. God teaches you to to honor your mom. He t- teaches you in Proverbs that uh, being the sort of child who brings joy and not grief to your parents is uh, is a uh, good desire. But doesn't he teach you here that just as 
uh, you're able to catch Mama's eye from across the room as you're doing what she said. That even more than that, you're catching your Heavenly Father's eye with everything you do. There's those knowing looks. Or a husband and a wife uh, that can, you know, you know, separated by 40 feet or so in the fellowship hall, uh, have uh, you know, several paragraphs worth of conversation and a few looks back and forth. You know, they're in public, but their communication is in secret. Um, not letting your left hand know what your right hand doing is doing is so that your charitable deed may be in secret for your father who sees in secret. That you would learn to carry on the life of the heart with God. That the primary focus in what your, uh, the primary focus of your mind, the primary focus of your heart in every situation, no matter how public or how private, Yes, there are, there are habits that you will follow if you are watching against the, uh, the desire to be seen by men and watching against being seen by men. But this applies both to public and to private works of mercy. That you would have that single-mindedness towards what Father sees because you are living your life in fellowship with Him. You see, just as it often is uh, among men, so also with God, the more secret, the more special. And as you look to the Lord, even in your public works, and you know that there's going to be people who notice, and you know you're going to be thanked, and you know people are going to tell you how much the Lord used it, and you're glad for the Lord to get that praise, and uh, and you don't want uh, to be among a people who don't thank and don't recognize what God does through others, because the scriptures are full of that, and it's uh, it's wrong to uh, to make a, a hyper moralistic uh, culture of not thanking people. But the more single hearted you are towards the Lord. Uh, the less those things bother you. Because you're already so pleased that he knows, that he sees, that that fleshly desire for and gratification in their compliment has less and less of an effect. You you become self-forgetful because you're remembering him. And thus the Lord, as he works in you, as he produces this in you, He liberates you from the tiny, temporary reward of the praise of men to bring you into that infinite and eternal reward that is God himself. Amen. Let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, We're so thankful to you that you who dwell in unapproachable light, you who are blessed forever in yourself, would bring us into the light, into this blessedness in your Son, our Lord Jesus. And now help us by your Spirit 
Grant that he might write the truths of this portion of your word on our hearts, that we would live this life of secret fellowship with you wherever and with whomever uh, we are. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.